0: So the last uh, few weeks, last week I wasn't here by the way, thanks for letting me uh, stay home while I had the flu. (laughs) It was
1: touch and go, y'all, for
0: a little bit. I thought I might not ever be back. Never had the flu. Man, I mean, Michelle tells me I'm a baby when I'm sick, but I'm telling you there was a reason for it last week. Um, But in the three weeks prior to that, We had someone stand up during this time of the service and give their testimony of giving and why it is that they give, and so this week it's my turn. I grew up going to church most of the time. Um, Seasonally, we were there like every Sunday, and then there were some parts of the year where we might be there a couple of times a month, and then depending on what sports season it was, we might be there once a month on different seasons, but the majority of the time when I was growing up, we went to church, we sat third row from the back on this side of the church, the the good side. And we sat third row from the back and nobody sat behind us. And the reason we sat that far back was because my mom and dad didn't, I found this out later in life, didn't really want the rest of the church seeing how my brother and I behaved. So those of you parents who are like, I can't believe my kids act like that, don't sweat it. Uh, My mom and dad are right there with you. Um, And we sat in this order. I was closest to the middle, and then my mom, and then my brother, and then my dad, because they had to keep me and my brother separated. Because for two reasons. One, we loved to laugh at people who were falling asleep in church. And we loved to laugh at... And just lots of crazy things. I knew how many ceiling tiles there were on the tiles <laughs> of the ceiling above us and no burn, there are ceiling tiles here. <laughs> and so but the other thing that my brother and I would kind of argue about was who got to put the offering into the offering plate. There was something fun about getting to like get that envelope and be the one who put it in the plate. And looking back on that now, it's not really that big of a deal, but it's really a big deal that my mom and dad, from the time I was a little kid, modeled for me what it means to be generous. And it wasn't just with their finances that they were generous. My dad, for over 17 years, volunteered his time as a football coach. My mom was on every board you could ever imagine, keeping the books for all of them and doing minutes as the secretary for all of them, they were generous with their time and they modeled that for us also. And they modeled for us what it meant to be parents who both worked but were also really present in my and my brother's lives. Generosity was just part of what happened and I know where they learned it from. They learned it from their parents because my dad's parents were at every sporting event that I ever did, as long as they were healthy enough to be there. And my mom's parents lived in various towns in West Texas. One of them that I remember best was called Ackerley. Anybody ever heard of Ackerley, Texas, or driven by it? You've never driven through it, I promise you. You've actually driven by it. Ackerley, Texas has about two to 300 people that live there. And when I would go visit my grandparents in the summertime, or any time, we would go to church on Sundays, and they went to probably the only church in that town, and I remember loving it because it was hilarious to me that the preacher would yell the whole time. It was that kind of church. But I also remember we got to put money in the offering plate. Generosity was just how people lived in my world. They worked, everybody was blue-collar, or working in offices somewhere. And they gave of themselves, and it was modeled for me to do that. When I got old enough to start working, like, you know, mowing neighbors' yards and raking their leaves, and they would rip us off for three hours' work, they'd give us $10 to split. My mom and dad made sure that we gave some of that money to the church. And I learned what percentage giving was from them. And when I got to college, finally started taking my faith seriously, I remember being at St. Paul's here in Las Cruces one Sunday morning, and the offering was being taken up, and I decided to write a check to give some money. And as the plate came past me, and I put my check in the plate, and it went away, my prayer was, oh, God, please don't let that check bounce. Because college is the only time that you can write a check for 37 cents and bounce it. (laughs) But what happened in that moment was I learned that I needed to get my stuff together so that I didn't have to worry about bouncing a small check. And as I got my stuff together I learned that I actually had a little bit more money than I thought. And I could give more away and still have more money than I really thought that I had. And it felt like I was part of something, and that I was making some sort of difference. And so, when Michelle and I decided to get married, it was a priority for us to be percentage givers and be intentional in the way that we gave. And as we grew in our faith, we wanted to give more, and we wanted to give more. And it doesn't really matter to me the percentage that people give. It matters to me that we give, and we do it with intentionality. Because to me, giving is a spiritual discipline just like praying. And I'm going to tell you something right now, and I don't mean this to be uh, like I'm scolding you or something. But there were some people uh, who told me one time that they don't like the things going on at the church, and so they're not going to give anymore. And I remember thinking, does that mean you're not going to pray also? And does that mean that you're not going to give of your time and that you're not going to be generous with your life? Because to me, praying and giving and studying the Bible, they're all tied together. They're all spiritual discipline that we do. Because that's what we do. There's a story of a guy, this isn't a true story, but it could be who on his first anniversary takes his wife a rose. And she's really excited to get the rose. And on his second anniversary, he takes her two, and on his third, he takes her three, and on his fourth, four, you you get where I'm going. And so, like on their 17th anniversary, he takes her 17 roses. And she goes, you've been doing this every year, every year you add a rose, why, why? Like, why do you keep doing the same thing every time? And he goes, well, the first time I gave you a rose, for our first anniversary, you have this giant smile on your face and I love that look on your face. And then the next year I, you did it again and the next year you did it again. Every year it's the same thing, you get a big smile on your face and so I want to keep doing that. And you can see here that story two different ways. One is that's selfish. He's giving her a gift because of what he gets out of it. But the other option is he does it out of duty. I don't know about you, but I would prefer somebody give me a gift because they get something out of giving it to me than doing it out of duty. And here's the thing. God loves it when we're generous. God loves it so much when we're generous that God uses that as a tool to break us free and help us get our stuff together. And so as these uh, next steps estimate of giving cards are being passed out this morning, pray and ask God what it is that God would have you do with your giving. And I want to say this very clearly one more time. Those cards, uh, did you hand me that, Stuart? These cards, when you receive them, have nothing to do with our budget. Our budgeting process is taking place in six months, not in two weeks. Healthy churches budget in this way. They look at the five years previous giving, they average that out, and they build a budget based off of that. They don't build a budget based off of pledge cards because you can't spend a pledge card. And we don't know what's going to be happening in our lives this time next year. Maybe maybe you were able to give more than you estimated, maybe it was less. And so the church, that's not what this is about. This is about the givers need to give, not the churches need to receive. But I would ask you to do one thing, be intentional. Instead of being like me in college, which is, oh, I think I won't bounce this check. Be intentional. Because our faith requires some intentionality. It's not something that just happens. That's why we have spiritual disciplines. As the offering plates, come around, would you please touch them, whether you have something to place in them or not, please touch these baskets as a way of blessing this offering, but I think more importantly as a way of blessing the offering that we give the rest of the week, when we love our neighbors and when we serve those who are less fortunate than we are. And if you have your card and you want to put it in there, you can, but there will be a time at the end of the service for you to bring those forward and lay them on this table if you'd like.
1: is some satisfaction in knowing that when you've been gone for a week we practice imperfection here never think of Pray our hearts O oh god to accept your word silence in us any voices but your own so that we may hear your word so that we may hear your word so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from Psalm 37 Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast like grass, they will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord, and he will give you what your heart asks. To make a way to the Lord, trust him. He will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead. Don't get upset over someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave rage behind. Don't get upset. It will only lead to evil. Because evildoers will be eliminated. But those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. In just a little while, the wicked won't exist. If you go looking around the place, there they won't be there. But the weak will inherit the land. They will enjoy a surplus of peace. The salvation of the righteous comes from the lord he is their refuge in times of trouble the lord will help them and rescue them rescue them from the wicked and he will save them because they have taken refuge in him this is the word the word of god for the people of god
0: you're sick is you start to have sympathy for people who are sick so man, I really do want to say thanks to Kathy for holding it down last week I called her last uh, Saturday night like maybe ten minutes after I got diagnosed with the flu at the walk-in clinic and I was like you know uh, here's the plan for tomorrow I'll just come to church, and I'll hide in my office, and then when it's time to preach, you come knock on the door, and I'll come out and preach, and as soon as I'm done, I'll just go back. People will understand why I'm not like hanging out visiting. And then you knock on the door when it's time, the second time, and I'll preach and go back, and then then we'll do it the third time, and then I can go home and go back to bed. And Kathy goes, yeah, I don't think you can do that, which felt like a challenge to me, you know? (laughs) And so I go, no, I can do it. I think I can just grip my teeth and do it, And so then Kathy appealed to my better nature and said, but you don't want to get all the kids and people sick. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. Not thinking like there was another argument I could make to win, but my brain was like not working. I didn't realize that it wasn't working. And so she goes, listen, I'll hold, I'll, 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 figure it out. Like, trust me, I'll figure it out. And so uh, Kathy, thank you so much for covering last week. Um, I always wondered what happens when preachers get sick when they're supposed to be at work on Sunday mornings, and now I know. People step up, it's not like you all need me around here, I think it's that you want me and so that's, I think, even more important to be wanted instead of needed. The passage I'm going to read to you this morning is typically read around Christmas time but it's a really important passage of scripture that I think is too important to only be read at Christmas time. It comes from Luke chapter one, starting with verse five. And this is what Luke writes. He writes, During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God, and may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. and May God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. anybody ever done the right things for a long time you know like you don't hang out with people who drink smoke you don't go to the parties you go to class all the time you do all the right stuff you pray the right prayers you, you drink the right drinks you sing the right songs you read the right books like you do all of the stuff you still don't get the front parking spot you still don't get the class that you wanted to register for you still don't get the job that you were hoping to have you still have problems happening in your life am i the only one that sees life that way sometimes that's just how it goes right life is hard and it's encouraging to me to hear the story of zechariah
1: and elizabeth because i don't know if you caught this but
0: they were both righteous before God, blameless, blameless and their observance of all the Lord's commandments and not just the commandments, the regulations. You know that book of Leviticus that has all of those other kinds of regulations in it beyond just the Ten Commandments? They were blameless and righteous before God, not just in observing the commandments, but also the regulations. These people did all of the right stuff. They were the kind of people that we hope to grow up to be like. That was them. But the thing was, Elizabeth was still outside of the norm because she couldn't have a baby. And so she was seen as having some sort of sin in her life that kept her from having a baby. You know, in the Bible, they weren't as enlightened as we are. They, they didn't understand things like we do. They were dumb, maybe. I don't know. I'm uh, just joking, everybody. <laughs> But they had this understanding that if you couldn't have a baby, something was wrong with you. And it probably had to do with your soul and sin that was in your life. Now we understand that's really not how it works. But sometimes we think that way. I know a lady one time, who her husband was self-employed and they weren't getting checks in fast enough from the companies that he was contracting to work for. And she felt like they weren't getting the money in time because she wasn't doing her quiet time with God enough. That seems a little bizarre to me, but we all have those sorts of things in our life. I can remember being in seminary. By the way, I don't know if you've gathered this, but seminary was hell for me. Like, I loved the learning that happened. I loved the challenge to me academically. I loved the challenge to my faith. What I didn't like was all the other stuff, like... Going into debt and seeing my savings account shrink faster than I ever thought it would shrink. Michelle and I moved to Denver and didn't know a single person. In fact, we were technically homeless for two nights while we when we first moved to Denver. The seminary was supposed to have married student housing all lined up for us. And Michelle and her mom and Elise and Emery. Emery was like, God. Six months old when we got there. My mom, Michelle, Elise, and Emery, and Michelle's mom got to the apartment before my dad and I did. And I get a phone call from my mom, and my mom goes, "Ross, I'm not trying to tell you what to do," which meant she was about to try to tell me what to do. But I don't think Michelle is going to be happy living in this apartment. I said, "Mom, I'm sure it's going to be fine." Blah 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 blah. blah. I pull up in front of this apartment, and I go in, and I can see Michelle is not going to be happy with (laughs) me. The floor was dirty. She didn't want to put Emery down on the floor to let Emery roll around on it because it was still dirty. They weren't prepared for us at all. It was like there was no communication that happened. The people were about to move into that apartment, and Michelle goes, go get our deposit back. So I go, and I get our deposit back, and we don't have a place to live. And so now I'm like shuffling through Craigslist, back when you used to be able to trust Craigslist, you know, and finding, trying to find places to live. Well, everybody wanted to be able to have like four or five days to do a background check. And I was like, look, we don't have time for a background check. I just need to move into a place. And I was like, look, we couldn't afford places. And I was like, if you could, just uh, instead of taking $1,200 a month rent, take $1,000 a month and I'll pay six months upfront cash. And they're like, are you a drug dealer? I'm like, no, I'm about to be a pastor. Same thing, right? No, it's a little different. <laughs> and so finally we negotiate our way into this apartment. Spend a bunch of our savings to do that. My truck starts breaking down. Michelle's car starts breaking down. And I found out that there are people living in this townhouse complex that you don't want your kids living around. And I was downstairs in the basement doing homework at about one night, and i had enough. And I was like, God, this is ridiculous. We don't know anybody. Our savings is going away. I love what I'm learning, but this isn't what I signed up for. And I felt like you were calling me to this place. I've been doing the right stuff since I was 22 years old. Give me a break for once, please. We do all of the right stuff. We were blameless in the sight of God, righteous and observant in all of the commandments, and still can't get pregnant. You know what I mean? But that's why I am so inspired by Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were cut from a different kind of cloth, they were cut from the kind of cloth that our grandparents were cut from. They were dutiful they did the right thing they did it not because of what they could get out of it necessarily but because they knew that in doing the right thing they were doing the right thing they were intentional about it we've taken this picket fence apart now we talked about how to be generous you have you can't be selfish seems obvious right no it should be obvious because the opposite of generous is selfish We talked about how when you have the fear of missing out you just want to grab everything every experience and every literal thing that you can get your hands on and Adam and Eve had everything laid out before them except they couldn't have the one apple they had the fear of missing out on what that apple actually could give them and so they took it because they wanted to be like God which is what happens to us when we just hoard stuff and try to gather more and more things it's really the fear of missing out on being like God who has everything our father has cattle on a thousand hills. But if we can break that fear of missing out, and understand that God has given us everything we need, we can be more generous. And we talked about how we live with masks. We we live one way, and we put we live with pretense. We pretend that things are one way when really they're another way. And so we have to hold all of our stuff to keep that pretense going. And the truth of the matter is, to be generous, you have to live an unpretentious life and take the mask off. And today we're talking about how to be a person who is generous, a person who is faithful, a person who is disciplined, therefore a disciple, you have to be intentional. You can't live an unplanned life. You can't be that college kid like I was who pulls their checkbook out and is like, this check doesn't bounce to the church by the way (laughs) how many of us start off the year saying I'm going to read the whole Bible this year and by the time you get to Leviticus you're like never mind (laughs) (laughs) it's discipline it's intentionality it's planning it's doing the thing you're supposed to do regardless of the results. Like, I know that when we open up our Bibles and read our Bibles, we want for God to speak to us. But guess what? Sometimes it doesn't happen. But does that mean we stop? Yes, it does. But does it doesn't mean we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. Because maybe it's the discipline of studying this Bible that gets us closer to God. I know that when we pray, we want to somehow hear from God, but that's not the point. The point is praying. There's a story about Moses. You know, Moses, led the Israelites through the wilderness, was just like dying to get into the Holy land. They get right up to the river to cross the river. And God takes Moses up onto the top of a mountain. And he says, Moses, look out there. As far as you can see, that's going to be the people's land. They're going to inhabit the whole land. Everything you can see with your own eyes from this mountaintop is going to be your people's land. But you're never going to step foot on it. And Moses laid down and died. I have thought about that story so many times in my life when I feel like I'm not hearing from God and not getting what I want from God because I know Moses wanted to step onto the Holy Land. He wanted to taste that milk and honey. And God said, sorry, it's not for you. But I'll bet you this. I'll bet if Moses was standing right here and I could interview him and I asked him this question. Hey, Moses. Would you trade that encounter with God for a lifetime in the Holy Land? He would say, no way. I'll bet you Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed with so much emotion that they would have a baby. That's never mentioned. Like, we're never told the tears that they shed. We're never told the shame that Elizabeth felt. The fear that she had that the Zechariah would die and she wouldn't have anybody to take care of her we're never told about that but you know that was crossing their minds as they would pray every night, Lord please just give us a child, especially a son because you know the Bible and boys but (laughs) please God It wasn't even a no. It was just no response. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. He just kept doing what he was doing. Trusting that if he put himself in the right place, doing the right things, that one day, he would hear from God. For us, it's not about how much necessarily. It's about the intentionality. If we continue to put ourselves in the right places, doing the right things, asking the right questions, that's the life we want to live, right? And we can trust that God is faithful. And that one day God will speak to us. May not be the answer we want, but that answer is more important than taking one, two, three, four lifetimes in the Holy Land. So my sisters and brothers, let's live a life of intentionality. When we make a decision, let's think it through and make a decision, and then follow through with that decision, trusting that God is faithful and will speak to us.